And welcome to Sometimes Dead is Better. And it's me, Kristen. And me, Chris. And this is part two of our Psycho episode. For now, classic Psycho episode. <laughs> so if you haven't listened to that, you can go back and listen to that first if you want. Or this is just a true crime, if you want to listen to that. Or you can listen to both. Right. We like that you listen to both, please. <laughs> and this may have some spoilers about Psycho. Right. Well, if you haven't seen Psycho, I mean... Fair warning, we're going to spoil it somehow. Probably. Yeah, so. And then I saw my tell Chris about some terrible things. Right. And I will love it. <laughs> well, so first we need to talk about the new documentary on Netflix called Don't Fuck With Cats. Right. And that is about the murderer, Luca Magnata, who we covered in our American Psycho episode. Right. So um, if you have seen that special, neither of us have, funnily enough. I can't. I <laughs> right. can't. It, it, it took everything out of me just to research it for... Like, I already knew too much about it, and it disturbed me enough, and then I researched it again to do our episode, and then I don't want to know any, I don't want to know anything else. Right, but if you have seen that show and you're interested, and for some reason you don't know, we did a podcast, or I should say Kristen did a podcast, <laughs> on the That True Crime. So if you listen to our American Psycho episode... Um, and you will uh, get our take on that whole ordeal. I think again, we haven't. I seen still think that was a really good one to go with American Psycho. Yeah, still, yeah. I mean, he the real serial killer. Well, he's not really a serial killer. He kills one guy, but Canadian Psycho. Yeah. Yes. Because he, I mean, he killed a kitten, and Patrick Bateman tried to put a kitten into the ATM machine, <laughs> right. right? So it's all on brand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Another great uh, true crime documentary on Netflix, but about, about Aaron Hernandez which I have not watched yet, but I'm very excited. No, we're very much looking forward to that. I have researched that, too, because, you know, my dad is a college football coach. Yeah. And he told me some things that about, he had heard on the inside. About Aaron Hernandez? Well, like, what had he heard? Well, he just knew that, and the stuff that I researched supported this, is that, you know, before, when he, he was still in high school, he got in trouble, and they kind of covered things up. And then when he was recruited... I had to. I just have to watch the documentary again. Like he already had issues. He like shot a guy and blinded him in college. It got all covered up. And he then, shot a guy. Yeah. When he went to the NFL, like Bill Belichick knew things too, and they covered them up, and Jeez. until he finally, you know, murdered someone else. So I'm really interested to see that because it's pretty crazy. And I tried to get my dad to admit that he like tried because I wanted to have a cool true crime story. So you, but so did you recruit him? Did you like interview him? And he was like, no, he was already, he was like, he was um, recruited out of high school. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> well, but my dad did recruit and coach. OJ um, Simpson? No. <laughs> a guy named Keenan Lowe who played at Oregon. And he was in the news a few months ago because it was actually a while ago, but I think the footage just came out. And he, is a coach or a teacher at a school and a kid brought a shotgun to school and Keenan, oh, he like talked him down or whatever yeah and they took the shotgun away from him oh i heard and about hugged that. him and wouldn't let him go you hugged him 
he like held on to oh. him and hugged him <laughs> but not like in an affectionate way well i think it was kind of both i yeah. think it was kind of like calm down i got you and also you're not going the fuck anywhere okay yeah i saw that on um you know the youtubes or whatever that's that's cool so yeah. your dad recruited him yes and he played for oregon yes awesome okay. so that's cooler than recruiting a murderer a hero right so that's pretty cool although i would love that story yeah very cool well um i was actually going to start the aaron hernandez thing last night but i got um just way too tired and started watching youtube pearl jam videos <laughs> <laughs> of course he did pearl jam drink yes <laughs> do you mention pearl jam a lot I don't that may be the first time i did get pearl jam tickets to nashville oh yeah that's so, so fun very excited that's great okay so again the movie we did was psycho and what is the serial killer that everybody associates everybody with? thinks we're gonna do ed gein <laughs> But we already did Ed Gein. We did. What was that episode? The Texas Chainsaw Massacre? Yes. Okay. And so everybody says that Ed Gein inspired Psycho, but that's actually not true. Like, Robert Block said that he didn't even hear about Ed Gein until he'd after he'd written the book. It's just a coincidence. Well, there, if you look on the IMDb trivia to this day, it still says that. I guess anybody can submit trivia to, to that page. I think so. Okay. Um, and there are some similarities. I mean, the whole mother aspect of it. Keeping a corpse, I guess. I mean, he did dress up like a woman. A lot of it is... <laughs> I mean, it's, it's kind of tracking as far as... <laughs> but as far as all the other stuff goes... Kept a hotel. I mean, whatever, you know. <laughs> uh, Texas Chainsaw just had so much more. Right. With, when, when you learned more about Ed Gein. And, I mean, I think the most fascinating thing, and something that's never really happened again, is all of the things that he made out of human body parts. And that's more focused on Texas Chainsaw. A guy with mommy issues who becomes a serial killer is actually like, I had a hard time choosing. There was too many. Really? Yes. Uh, well, another one that we'd already talked about was Ed Kemper. He had a horrible mother. He ended up right. murdering his mother. And, uh, but that was after Psycho, though. So. Well, that's the thing, too. So there wasn't that much before this that could influence it. I see. So you couldn't say that Ed Kemper influenced Psycho because that was, you know... But we're not doing Ed Gein because we already no, did him. No, and we're I, not. I already had to told you tell you about the nipple belt. Right, we were not that basic. Which you probably already forgot. No, about I did not now. forget that part. Okay, well, I, well, now I just reminded you of it again. I mean, right. So I'm gonna tell you about somebody else. Okay. His name is Charles Albright. Which sounds sounds like an okay name, right? Well, they all sound okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I got a lot of the information from the Texas Monthly, which is a really great serial killer magazine. Well, the guy who writes for it, one of the guys, his name's Skip Hollinsworth, and he is a great writer. He also wrote a book called The Midnight Assassin, which is really great, about one of the first American serial killers. And then maybe some other articles. I try to not use Wikipedia if I can. I mean, it's okay that you do, <laughs> because you have your own thoughts. And also, you're looking up movie facts. Yeah, I don't use it that much. I know. I mean, so much as IMDb trivia, which is <laughs> probably less well-sourced, but still... Okay, so I'm going to do this in chronological order, Okay, if that's okay. Chronological order of happiness or (laughs) killings or what? No, just like from the beginning. Oh, okay. So Charles Albright was born in 1933 and adopted by Dell and Fred Albright. I liked this story, too, because it's in about the same time period, you know? Like, he was born in the 30s, and then he's going to be about their ages, like Norman Bates in in the 60s, right? Yeah, I would think so. Okay, so 
Dell was a bit obsessed with her son. She was obsessed with cleanliness, so he, she would make him change his clothes a lot, brush his teeth, a bit over-the-top sort of stuff. I mean, it doesn't sound too bad, but... Oh, well, it, it gets worse. Okay. Um, this is good, too. She kept goats for her son because she only wanted to drink fresh goat milk. That sounds nice. I would love to have goats. But then she, she took him to the hospital to show him polio patients and warned him about getting dirty, that he could end up in an iron lung. Oh, so this is like uh, Eddie, Eddie's mom on It. Kind of, you know, like Yes, yeah. yes. So she was a bit obsessed with that. Uh, she, still, she took it a little bit too extreme. She also um, locked him in a dark room at the age of one for like misbehaving, which at one, you're still a baby. So that's really just going to scare the shit out of him. <laughs> <laughs> she would tie him up to his bed during naps. Yes, getting progressively worse. Yeah. There was a documentary. Do you remember the documentary that came out called Babies? And it was just like different stories of babies around the world. I don't think so. I don't think I saw it. Oh, there was one where they thought they showed like a, a family in Mongolia and like the parents and the little boy, they had to go out and work the fields. And so they did, they tied like a rope around the toddler and the, he left, they left him there in the bed, you know? Oh my God. But they didn't have anything else. They couldn't do anything else, I guess. Um, his mother also liked to dress him up in dresses and give him dolls, which I don't think he wanted to. Like there was another story we did I guess it was uh, Jerry Brudos who oh, right. wanted to dress up, you know? But I think this was something that she just did, which can be confusing for it. Yeah, usually bit. it's the uh, opposite. But, um, you know, like, you hear about that. Like, Pete Townsend's grandmother, like, made him do that, and it really messed him up for a long time. He wrote a song, I'm a Boy, about it. Um, that, ha- that does happen. That is kind of a weird phenomenon. I guess it's usually parents or grandparents that really wanted the other sex right uh, and they kind of force that upon their children usually has nothing to do with like their burgeoning sexuality or anything and they usually don't like ever harm anybody but you do you do hear about it in people's usually people's biographies that are celebrities so maybe it works out i don't know (laughs) maybe it either you maybe it helps you or it hurts you i don't know that's interesting there's a few stories like that it's yeah but usually yeah you're right it's the other way around you know someone usually the parent does not want that she also tied him to the porch because he did seem like he was a bit of a handful, though. I guess he kept trying to get out and get out from the yard and out through the fence. And Well, yeah, they keep tying him up. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, it seems like she's like she's tethering him to her, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, as he got older, she was uh, a little too open about sex. Like, Elise is asking about... Oh, really? What is she asking? <laughs> she... Sorry, so, diving right in. I'm sorry. So she had to do, well, she went to the, this Girl Scout thing where a nurse was there and they could ask the nurse anything they wanted about like puberty and like getting your period and stuff like that. But at least really wanted to ask sex questions. And so she said, I'm going to ask her what sperm is. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, you know, she told you, she told you she was going to ask that. Yes. And what'd you say? I said, the, that sounds great. You ask her. Well, <laughs> let her answer. We're like, well, I can tell you that. <laughs> no, I said it's a type of whale. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I think I did say, I said, well, it's the stuff that guys have that makes this their part. How does of she know what sperm is? I don't know. Yeah. I couldn't really get it out of her. Just have her kids know things. Exactly. She was like, it's gross. You don't want to know. <laughs> <laughs> like, tell me about it. <laughs> but anyway, but, but when... Charles's mom talked to him about it. She talked to him about it as in, like, what me and your dad do. 
And like, you know, your dad is very selfish with sex and he's, he's a aggressive and you need to be a very tender lover. It's just like, that seems like a bit too much as a young boy telling right. him this, especially think, you, no one ever wants to think about their parents having sex. No. Sounded mean. <laughs> she also chauffeured all of his dates. She was very overprotective. She would call their parents after the date and things like that. She would watch them constantly. She pushed him to be better, but was always in his business, you know, so constantly on him. And he and he did get better. He skipped two grades. You know, he could recite poems. He could play the piano. So I, I mean, in some way, that's that's a way that's a good thing. But in other ways, let him be a fucking kid. She also introduced him to taxidermy. Cute. And guess what his favorite thing to stuff was? Birds. Yes. That was his favorite thing to stuff. He was very good at it. But his favorite thing about taxidermy was removing the bird's eyes. He loved it. And so what age do you think he is now? Like nine or ten? Or a child, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, and he loved, like, so you, you have to buy these little glass eyes that go in. But they couldn't afford the glass eyes. But he was, like, obsessed with them. Like, he wanted them. He wanted to collect them. And so instead, his mom and him would sew buttons for the eyes. Which just sounds kind of creepy for me to me. I don't know why. I don't yeah. think it's like buttons with like four holes. I'm sure it's like little those little tiny buttons that probably Marion's wearing on her when she buttons with her little tiny fingers on her little tiny yeah. jacket on I her love little that jacket. tiny waist. <laughs> that, that I mean, I can't imagine that would fit. That little dress she's wearing would fit around one of my thighs. They said that that's an off the right dress too. Did you read that? What does that mean? It means that usually in movies they would, you know, or most, you know, famous people have their outfits oh. you know, fitted, and they wanted Alfred Hitchcock wanted her to look like a what he called a normal human being, like what a secretary will wear. So he gives her this fabulous outfit, but it's not like really fitted to her. It's just like you know, at, at that time anybody could have gone and buy that. Right, right. Um, which Interesting. It's fascinating. So I remember thinking like, wow, she looks fantastic, but probably wasn't the point of what you're going for. <laughs> Well, so Charles was an exceptional person. He was an artist. He was a great painter. He's a football star. He's also in a lot of trouble. He had impulse control issues, which is also probably a lot to do with his overbearing mother. And he couldn't, you know, step out of line at all with her around. And that probably caused him to act out more. He went away to Arkansas State Teachers College, and he was very popular. He was very attractive. He was asked to be the model for the art class because he was so good looking. He was a prankster, just like George Clooney. <laughs> Drink. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he would steal test answers. He accidentally set fire to his chemistry teacher's dress. He stole from a local church. And a lot of this was like kind of looked at as his friends, like he was cool. Seems like a fire always has yeah. something to do with that type of thing. So they, then say, he, they say arson is actually a very weirdly like sexual act. Like really? It has a lot to do with like um, sexual... Um, what do you call it? Basically sexual frustration, for lack of a better word. It's all kind of linked with that. A lot of times people that are doing arson, and I may have just watched too many millennium episodes, it's, it's all about like, you know, uh, sex. That's which crazy. is very weird if you think about it. But it kind of makes a certain amount of sense because it's about power and, you know. There's a really great arson crime I want to do. Well, we'll have to watch Backdraft. <laughs> <laughs> Or Firestarter, Firestarter. Well, you know, didn't we, we had this conversation, and I was, tech, we were, I was really trying to think of a fire movie, because I wanted to do this true crime. And I, you, I, we weren't sure if Firestarter was a... I found one, though, like a weird horror movie that's like an arson guy. 
Yeah, I guess Firestar is more almost sci-fi type, but I'll do it if you want. I mean, he, I mean Drew Barrymore, <laughs> Stephen King, come on. Well, so then he now he went over to Texas, North Texas State, and he was caught burglarizing a store and stole a bunch of money. And his mother came to his aid. She tried to appease the owner. She asked if she could be his lawyer, and she finally asked if she could take his place in prison for him hmm. and serve his time, which... Uh, I'm pretty sure my mom would definitely do that for me. She went to court for me one time. I got a speeding ticket and I just didn't want to go. And she went for me. And the judge got mad at her and was like, you didn't send your daughter? And she said, well, I, my daughter has exams. And I didn't have exams. I had class. I could have <laughs> missed. And she went for me. She would totally go to jail Why for didn't me. you go? I didn't want to. Like you were scared? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> Is this traffic court? I know. So there were some uh, more creepier pranks that he was doing. Remember how he liked eyes? He liked the eyes of the animals. Ed Gein, you mean? Or, oh, no. no but this that, guy. The guy you're talking about. Yes. <laughs> you said remember like it was something we talked about a long time ago. But. <laughs> Just like five minutes ago. <laughs> so one of the creepier things he did, his pranks, was one of his buddies was dating a really attractive girl who had these beautiful eyes. And then they broke up. And then his buddy started dating a new girl. And for some reason, Charles thought it was really funny to cut all the eyes of the girl out of the, the pictures. His old girlfriend, he cut her eyes out and then glued them onto the pictures of his new girlfriend, which is just like, like so they were all over his room. It's just, really just really super creepy. At of first, his own girlfriend or his friend's girlfriend? His friend's girlfriend. Of his ex-girlfriend. Did his friend notice? I guess so. Yes. He thought it was creepy, but they were just like, oh, that old Charles. That doesn't mean anything until later. Uh, he met a girl named Betty Nestor, who kind of helped him steal keys to the office. He kept getting in there and falsifying documents. They got married in 1954. And then between 1954 and 1975, he couldn't hold a job. He went to Mexico and became a bullfighter. He became an illustrator. He made baseball bats. But all in this time, too, he kept stealing things. He forged a master's and a doctorate degree. He forged cashier's checks. He was teaching at a high school, and they found out all these documents were false. But they liked him, so they just put him on probation. He was able to charm people, and girls were smitten by him. He's like Sam. Right. He's, I guess he has the personality of Sam and the looks of Sam, but the psyche of Norman Bates, I guess. He sounds more sinister already than Norman Bates to me. But. He just seems like he's trying really hard to be normal. Like, this is what people do, right? All this shit. Oh, another creepy story about eyes. He was a great painter. His friend commissioned him to paint his a picture of his wife for him. And he painted a beautiful painting of her. They said it was perfect, her skin and hair and clothes. But he left her eyes blank. And it took him, like, months to be able to paint his her eyes just perfect. But for like a month, it was just like he just she just had white eyes because he likes eyes. I don't know if you know that. that no. That, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> is this all leading up to like you know the eyeball killer or yes. something? Or, really? Yes. Is that what his name is? Yes. No way. Yeah. I totally made that up. That is amazing. <laughs> Through the '80s, he was arrested two more times for stealing. His mother passed away in 1981, and then his dad died and left him money and multiple homes. Uh, no motel, I don't think, but who knows. And this is just a fact for later. So then he rented out one of these homes to an odd guy named Axton Schindler. Charles lived in the main house at 1035 El Dorado. Those are just things you need to know for later. Okay. 
And then that this is uh, upsetting, but in 1985, he was accused of molesting a nine-year-old girl. He pled guilty, but just so he wouldn't go to trial, so that way it wouldn't be in the news. He, had, he confessed to knowingly and intentionally engaging in deviant sexual intercourse with a girl under the age of 14, and he was 51, and all he got was probation. And what year is this? 1985. <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> I was alive. So also in 85, he fell in love with a woman named Dixie Austin. But then also at this time, he started to see sex workers. He made his rounds with uh, all the sex workers around the area and even had standing appointments with some. So take all that information and now we're going to talk about some murders that happened. Okay. And maybe there's some connections. I don't know. Who knows? Who's to say? (laughs) So in 1990, it was not that long ago. No. Because this is so... So he was in his 50s or 60s by now? Yes. Okay. So then the story, so interesting, it starts out, he's born in the 30s, then he's a young man, like in the 50s and 60s, but then when we finally get to his murders, they're in the 90s. So this is this is a, a definitely slowly escalating kind of person, you know? Yeah. So you're not suggesting, or they're not suggesting he killed people before this, before he was in the 50s or 60s. He might have. But they don't know about it. Mm-mm. So 1990, Mary Pratt, 33, a sex worker was found on the street, naked, shot in the head, and battered. Uh, she was known to the police for her sex work, and she had been beaten before. So, you know, she'd probably been in and out of the police department. They probably, at first, didn't think much of this. They kind of like, especially back in the 90s, it was kind of like, there wasn't a lot, especially watching ER, you know. <laughs> there's like a lot of sex workers that come through there. They don't, they don't, they don't. Just some gangbangers. Yeah, yeah just, <laughs> they don't get a lot of respect, anyway. John Westphalen was in charge of the case. There was no evidence for him to go on, no motive, no murder weapon, no witnesses. During the autopsy, it was discovered that Mary's eyes were missing. They had been surgically removed, and they were cut out so delicately, it wasn't even noticeable. Like, he didn't even cut either of the eyelids. So her... I'm trying to imagine what that that looks like. So her eye... You don't need my speculation on it. You'll just tell me. (laughs) Her eyeballs were gone. But why did why did it take him so long to notice that? I guess when your eye closes, because they're closed. Okay. Yes. All right. I was thinking about that too, like when they look sunken. But I guess that your lid's pretty sturdy. Okay. So after this murder, they find a local sex worker named Veronica Rodriguez, and they'd had a lot of run-ins with Veronica too. Uh, but they found her walking down the street with a bleeding uh, cut on her face, and she told them that she was attacked and raped by a white man. She said a guy named Axton Schindler, who's who we mentioned earlier, had picked her up and rescued her. They interviewed her, him, but he was a bit of a mess, too. They couldn't really get a lot of information from him. He lived off the grid and was really paranoid. When they asked him for his address, he wrote down 1035 El Dorado Street, which was Charles Albright's address. Right. So this is the first little clue they get. They don't really understand what's happening or why this is linked to this guy but they get to it that's just their first little clue but then also in 1990 i guess later (laughs) (laughs) that's gonna be on the camera i mean on the audio (laughs) Uh, later they when they go back they realize that in 1990 charles had started drawing pictures of mutilated women also just began to display odd behavior such as mowing the lawn in his underwear not is that it's the lawnmower man yeah that's the Stephen <laughs> King story I remember seeing at, at someone's house and a woman was out there mowing the lawn in her swimsuit and I thought that's smart because it's hot yeah 
I mean, I've well, never mind. What have you done, Chris? <laughs> I mean, I've mowed the lawn in my swimsuit, but just because I couldn't find any shorts. Okay. <laughs> but I mean, I had like other clothes on. Okay. All right. So in 1991, a second victim is found. This is Susan Peterson, age 27, found on the same street as Mary Pratt. She was also a sex worker, found naked, shot in the head, the stomach, and the chest, and her eyes were removed. And the police knew this sex worker. They said that she was fearless, feisty. Uh, if the killer could get her, they could get anyone. So they warned everyone to stay off the streets. They kept going back to Veronica's story, but couldn't figure out any more clues from it. Like, v- Veronica was a little scatterbrained, too. A lot of, maybe she used a lot of drugs. But her story about being attacked never changed. You know, so some of, the, some of the crazy things that she had said about other things changed. But when she talked about this crime against her, that's a, so they kind of knew something might be up with that. So John Westphalen is the one who's still investigating the murders. He's filling up notebooks about the cases, and they still have no evidence, no murder weapon, no motive, nothing. Then, in March of 1991, an African-American sex worker, Shirley Williams, was found near an elementary school, shot, beaten, and her eyeballs missing. The tip of an X-Acto knife was found broken off in her eye socket. I don't know why that bothers me, but... (laughs) Isn't that just awful? But so were eyeballs gone? They were gone. And he just left the thing. Okay. Well, at least we know what he was using. Yeah, he's definitely he's using an exacto knife. So this was kind of threw them off because it was a little more hurried than the others. You know, like he broke the tip off of the exacto knife. He put her body in a different spot. And this is a black woman. And you know, when we talked about serial killers, they rarely kill outside of their race. So it's like either he's really losing it, like he's become. As I talk about on Mindhunter, he goes from organized to disorganized, you know? Mindhunter has taught us so much. Also, they're saying that they're not sure when Mindhunter Season 3 is going to happen. I know. I read about that. I didn't even want to bring it up. I know. It's like Hannibal all over again. But then they are saying that they're going to make a Clarice Starling spinoff. I mean... I guess we could have sighed when they said they were making a Hannibal show, but... Just give it to Brian Fuller. Right. Why even even fuck around? All right. So Westphalen keeps digging. So so he finds out that the the Axton guy, the address is listed for Fred Albright, who's Charles's dad. So now he knows. So they are going back to Charles Albright, who is the owner. Uh, police interviewed another black sex worker named Brenda White, who said she had maced a man who tried to rape her, and she said it was the same murderer who tried to kill uh, Veronica. And she was the she was very open about it. She's like, he's killing black girls now. We're, none of us are safe. And they're all saying it's the same guy. Uh, she picked uh, Charles's picture out of a lineup. And Veronica Rodriguez came in and also picked his picture out of a lineup. Also, a friend of Mary Pratt's, who was the first person murdered, called the police and told them about a friend of Mary's who was obsessed with eyes and also had a lot of X-Acto knives. And that was Charles. That's a pretty good clue. <laughs> yeah. So then they checked his. They finally checked his record, and uh, probably the computer exploded because it was like thirty years of just like complete bullshit. Everything from burglaries to frauds to molestation of a kid. You yeah. know, they found like a lot of this evidence. I don't know if it today if it, he might have gone free because a lot of it was like circumstantial. A lot of it was fibers and hairs found. At different scenes, which nowadays they're not as concrete on that. Yeah. Um, but he was charged and found guilty for Shirley Williams' murder. 
on December 19th, 1991, and was given a life sentence. Um, and a quote from the article from Skip Hollingsworth, In Albright's mind, the connection between prostitution and motherhood had been made. It is possible that Charles Albright was wrestling with a very twisted version of the Madonna whore complex, unconsciously seeking revenge on the mother figures who disappointed him by associating the prostitutes, the worst possible women he could find. Now, he never confessed to any of this. He said, I have never touched an eyeball, Albright declared. I think truly this may sound far-fetched that the boys of the forensic lab cut those eyes out. I think the police said we want some sort of mutilation. But I think the evidence... Seems pretty clear, yeah. He loves eyeballs. <laughs> He's been obsessed with eyeballs since he was a kid. But so, does, does anybody have a theory on the like the psychological underpinning of that? Like, what do the eyeballs represent to him? Or I did, know, that's interesting. I mean... Maybe he didn't like his mother's eyes or something? Or? Maybe, I mean, it's like, well, guess whenever you would taxiderm a bird, oh. that would be the softest part, right? The eye, because the rest of it's bones and beak. Well, maybe his mother would give him the buttons, right? Yeah. So maybe it's tied up with that. Maybe he wanted his mom to give him buttons for these dead people he was mutilating. Oh, they could have gone in on it together. Yeah. Well. I think we'd agree it has something to do with his mother, probably. Probably. (laughs) (laughs) What is it with these mothers? What is Adam going to say about me? Oh, my gosh. All right. Well, so that was our true crime corner. Yeah, burn, Albright burn. <laughs> He's still in jail. Yeah. Well, I thought he got the dissonance. No, he got lifetime. Oh, lifetime, okay. Lifetime. Should have been in Florida. That's <laughs> <laughs> in Texas, though. Yeah, you would think, but, yeah. I guess maybe because the evidence, well, probably because they were sex workers, to be honest with you. Oh, yeah, in the 90s. Um, well, that's uh, part two. Of yeah, Psycho. let us know what you think about separating them, if you have any advice. Right. Remember, you can follow us on Instagram, Twitter. Twitter, yes. And uh, subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes and uh, I guess whatever else. Yeah, and still, if you just write a review and then DM us and let us know, then I'll send you a free sticker. They're pretty cool stickers, you know? Oh, right. it's free and you get mail? How exciting is that? I don't think you've really... Have you been talking about the stickers on the show yet? I I don't know. Yeah, I think we have. Okay. And I put it on Instagram. Oh, okay. Well, free stickers to listeners. Yes. Isn't it great to get mail that's not just like junk mail? That'd be nice. Yeah, that'd be cool. Thank you. Thank you. Eyeballs. (laughs) Bye.